0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Well, we're on the road and in Cornhusker country this weekend for U.S. Farm Report from the University of Nebraska. Strike averted how labor negotiations that seem to be going off the rails got back on track late this week. What USDA's groundbreaking announcement about climate-smart ag practices could mean for your farm. USDA making a cut to soybean yield this week. The research here is working to discover what enzymes cause soybeans to produce a valuable oil.
2: Working with uh, the biomass crops, uh, they don't traditionally make vegetable
0: oils.
1: And how that could set the stage for demand for farmers. And in John's world...
3: Bugs and clouds.
0: The 2022 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska is brought to you exclusively by Bex. From farmers' first pass in the field to the final one at harvest, it's a game plan rooted in faith and belief. Bex Hybrids is with you every turn because both on and off the field, we're all farmers at heart. See why at BexHybrids.com.
1: Well, there's some renewed energy here on campus, and we'll tell you why coming up on this show. But first, let's get to the news. There's a lot to cover this week, because after weeks of negotiations, a railroad strike was averted just in time this weekend. The White House announcing early Thursday morning a tentative labor agreement was reached. President Biden saying in a statement, the tentative deal quote will keep our critical rail system working and avoid disruption for of our economy, end quote. He said the rail workers will get better pay, improved working conditions, and peace of mind around their health care costs. He also called the agreement a victory for railway companies. The National Grade and Feed Association commended both sides for reaching a preliminary agreement in advance of Friday's deadline. Rail moves 25% of all U.S. grain. The deal announced this week extends the cooling-off period until union members can ratify it. Around 60,000 union rail workers were poised to go on strike starting Friday, which could have brought the transport of nearly 30% of the nation's freight to a grinding halt. Also this week, markets reacting after USDA made big cuts to production numbers for both corn and soybeans in its latest report. The changes is coming in the latest supply and demand report from USDA for corn USDA is now predicting 172.5 bushels to the acre for yield. That's a drop of almost three bushels. That means production is estimated at just under 14 billion bushels down 415 million from last month, but the biggest shock was from the soybean numbers USDA now calling for 50.5 bushels to the acre for a soybean yield. That's down 1.4 bushels from August production now forecast to be 4.4 billion bushels down 152 million. Well, a big announcement from USDA. It's investing billions of dollars into climate smart agriculture. Here's a breakdown of how the $2.8 billion is being spent. It will involve 70 different projects, including fruit, vegetables, and specialty crops, beef and livestock, corn and soybeans, and on down the line. Now the entities getting the money include farmer co-ops, conservation, energy, and environmental groups, along with universities, small businesses, and large corporations. The money will go to fund everything from flood control to building carbon markets.
4: Funds provided by USDA under these projects will serve three basic purposes. They'll support the technical assistance and financial assistance necessary to accelerate the implementation of climate-smart agricultural practices on our farms, fields, and forests. They'll provide resources for the innovative pilots and cost-effective methods that will quantify, monitor, verify, and report the greenhouse gas benefits from projects. And they'll help to develop and expand the markets these climate-smart commodities.
1: The money coming from the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund. Well, investigators in North Dakota released new details about a murder-suicide that unfolded in a farmer's wheat field. The Towner County Sheriff's Office says there was a dispute between two brothers prior to the murder, suicide which happened on a farm just northeast of Leeds, North Dakota. They say autopsy results and evidence at the scene suggest that 59 year old Robert Bracken killed his brother, his own son and a third man who was the farmer before shooting himself on August 29th killed were Bracken's 64 year old brother Richard Bracken, Roberts 34 year old son Justin Bracken and 56 year old farmer Douglas Dumage. The brackens were working the harvest for Dumage in his field at the time. Well, inflation continues to weigh on consumers and the markets. The latest consumer price index shows while inflation has slowed, prices are still rising for many key items. The monthly CPI rose 8.3% from a year earlier as lower gas prices were offset by higher costs for rent and food. But analysts were expecting a decrease. The numbers will likely push the Federal Reserve to hike its benchmark rate another 75 basis points.
5: It's going to be a function of uh, do they decide they want to continue to raise the height, uh, rate hikes again uh, another half or three-quarter percent. And uh, my guess is that's probably the chatter that that they're going to uh, put out.
1: Food inflation was up 0.8% with the biggest price increase led by eggs rising 2.9% just in August. They're up nearly 40% over the past year. All right, that's it for the news. Well, temps hit 90 degrees here in Nebraska, a state that has seen drought and heat all summer. We'll have a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Yurisavik next. Well, time now for a check of weather with the meteorologist Matt Urasavik. Matt, we're in Nebraska, a state that we saw during Pro Farmer Crop Tour, where heat and drought really has been the story all summer, taking a toll on the crops here, and now that we're welcoming fall, well, that heat is not going away, Matt.
6: That's right, Tyne. that heat not going away just yet. We're going to see a ridge build through the middle part of the country, Heading into this week, and most of the central part of the US is going to be much above average. But take a look at our root zone here. Still seeing some blues popping up off into the east, parts of the Great Lakes as well. Still dry across parts of the East Coast and the New England area. And then we're also dealing with extremely dry conditions as we have been for the last couple of months. One thing you will notice, though, Southern California, the coast there, and even the Northern Cascades dealing with some of that blue showing up after some of that rain over the past week, but here's a look at the drought monitor. We haven't seen much go on and not much has changed since last week. The only thing that we really did see in these drought conditions are not gone, just improved a little bit in parts of Southern California, areas in West Texas and then along uh, the northern portion of the country there, Montana, uh, North Dakota, still extremely dry though for portions of the Great Lakes and into the corn belt as well as harvest, obviously getting rolling, but still keeping an eye on these areas and Southern California. Staying mostly dry heading into the upcoming week, and this is why we've got a big ridge going to be building right through the middle part of the country. You can see where uh, that is kind of centered right over Texas, and eventually some cooler air works its way into New England, but back on the west coast could keep things unsettled there. Another dip in the jet stream starting to move in heading into next weekend, but notice the heat. Stays around, even though things could be unsettled along the northern tier and in portions of the east, still looks to be very, very warm and muggy through most of the lower 48 and we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Heading into Monday, though, mostly uh, it's going to be hot across the middle of the country, mostly sunny as well with high pressure in control. May see a little bit of rain in parts of California that we haven't seen it in a while and then a storm system moving on to the east as we head uh, through Monday into Tuesday. That storm system's gone. Still dealing with some scattered showers and storms in parts of Florida and another couple of storm systems making their way out of the west and across the northern plains may bring some more shower activity. Same thing goes for Friday as the original storm system works its way through the east, still staying warm and muggy though through most of the country. And here's a look at the temperatures through this week, much above normal. Don't see any blue on this map. It is going to be very warm across much of the country through this week. And here's a look at the precipitation. Yeah, back in the West, where all those storm systems are going to be originating and then moving across the northern tier. Below normal, though, through the center part of the country, Texas and places to the east, not dealing with a whole lot of moisture this week. And temperatures heading into next week still look much above normal through at least the Gulf Coast, parts of the Mid-South, back into the Rockies and the West Coast, staying near normal, though, across the eastern Corn Belt and portions of the northeast. And then here's a look at the precip next week. Not a whole lot of green on this map, only down in Florida. Most of the country going to stay below normal, and we'll continue to track that next week right here on U.S. Farm Report. Tyne, back to you. Thanks, Matt. Well, a big USDA report this
1: week. So besides the cuts to yield that we mentioned in news, what other market-moving adjustments did USDA make this week? Well, we're sitting down with economists and market analysts from right here at the University of Nebraska next.
6: Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com.
4: Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com.
1: Well, welcome back to our College Road show this weekend from the University of Nebraska here in Lincoln and excited for our panel. Today, we have a mix of ag economists here from the university as well as from the industry. Doug Simon joining us from Trados. Doug, when you look at the USDA report that came out this week, a little bit of fireworks in the market. I mean, we expected USDA to lower that corn yield. Also saw USDA lower the soybean yield. Why did that catch the market off guard?
7: Well, I don't think people thought USA maybe would drop it that much this fast. They've- have a tendency to be pretty um, you know just conservative in those adjustments but I think when they went out they basically looked at uh, ear counts and pod counts now yeah. they'll do weights on those next month but I think that was pretty objective yields you know looking at those counts and came up with some numbers I think they're pretty plausible from what we're seeing especially some of the early dry land yields that we're seeing in eastern Nebraska I think USA is right in moving in the direction they did
1: well and, and knowing that we did see them cut both of those yields from August to September, then what does that typically mean that we'll see from September to this October report?
7: There's a tendency for them to drop again in October. So whether they drop, drop six and a half bushels on the corn and one on the beans, whether they, I don't think they'll drop that much again, but they could drop another two on the corn and maybe another half on the beans, which would be pretty substantial you know, cuts, especially as tight as the carryouts are now.
1: Yeah, well, there were a lot of questions from farmers this week about why the markets took off like they did, but of course, there's also a lot of questions from farmers right now who are trying to book those fall fertilizer needs and hydrous. I mean, prices were ugly last year, but they're even shocked this year what prices they're being quoted. So, what is at play right now? Where we're seeing even hydrous nitrogen prices increase so much?
8: got a lot of factors in play there you got corn price heading back up you got you got issues over in europe uh you have you have tariffs you have you have transportation costs it's everything across the board is is leading to uh uh this price level and this level of volatility and uh, i'd expect it going forward uh as we as we move into the fall and winter
1: but as you look at the geopolitical situation and just everything that we're seeing on the world stage. How do we see inputs continue to
4: climb? Energy drives the cost of fertilizer, but so does output, so does the price of corn, so does the supply shocks overseas in terms of uh, foreign uh, suppliers, so does the current energy shock as Corey noted in Europe, which leaves all kinds of questions about the winter, natural gas supply and, and availability, uh, so does transportation everything else that we see going on here and, and the challenges. So volatility is something producers just have to manage, it's not easy. It's not, uh, not pretty, but it's, it's just a reality of what we're working through.
1: Well, one of those issues that was diverted <laughs> or averted last minute, uh, Doug, is the, the rail crisis. Did that have any impact, though, on, on basis that farmers here in Nebraska ha- ha- were seeing this week?
7: I think it could have had a bad impact on it if it actually the strike took place. Everybody was kind of thinking, oh, we'll get this thing resolved but there's a lot of corn and soybeans that are gonna get moved via rail, especially corn this year, because it's gotta go back to Western feed markets and back into the Mid-South area. So it could have impacted that pretty dramatically, but it, fortunately they've reverted that and we'll be moving a lot of corn directly into ethanol plants in Nebraska and into those rail locations as well.
1: Well, in some of these, these areas that have seen that dryness really take a toll on, on yields and production for you, like here in Nebraska, how do you mitigate risk? <laughs> when you're looking at, at, at Mother Nature that did take such a toll on production?
8: This spring, while it was a little dry, you didn't know we'd get here. We didn't know what path it would take here. It's, it's uh, uh, pretty rough right now, uh, but crop insurance is your, your main guy in that one. Um, they, the farmers here went through quite a bit with the, the hail, wind, um, and now, now tap a drought onto that, and uh, we're, we're, it's looking pretty rough. But insurance is your main, your main animal. Um, and uh, prepare to make adjustments for that going forward into next
4: year.
1: Brad, real quick, what mm-hmm. is your take on, on farm income levels for this year then?
4: You know, in spite of the outlook uh, in terms of production concerns and, and uh, input concerns going forward, farm income still looks really strong for 2022. That's a function of irrigated yields still get a better price. Uh, dry dryland yields have some insurance to help out at, in the end, but still strong financially still concerns going forward.
1: We need to take a quick break, but we will have much more on U.S. Farm Report when we come back.
4: Closed captioning
0: on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you to do the biggest job on Earth.
1: Well, Nebraska farmers this summer relied on irrigation, but for those who didn't have that moisture help, many wished they could just make it rain a topic that John has been covering on the show.
3: First off, an update this morning on the U.S. Farm Report mug shipping. I have made it through about half of the 943 entries for mugs, and including those mugs that I have mailed out to recent questioners, have shipped 167. Obviously, the classic red ones ran out months ago. I will continue to sift through questions for the best until I can get past all the initial submissions. I ship sporadically in batches of 10 or so, so some of you who submitted in April could still get a Halloween surprise, a Thanksgiving blessing, a Christmas gift, or heck, a Valentine's present at the rate I'm going. My financial goal limits me to roughly one-third of submitters getting mugs, which is around 300. And even though I ruled out my garden questions, the master gardener I live with answered those herself and hinted they deserve mugs too. So they got them. But no more, and I really mean it. Finally, remember, good questions used on the show always get a mug in the fullness of time. Moving on. As it happens with depressing frequency here, right after I finish recording a response, breaking news can make my answer out of date. I submit commentary a week in advance so Tyne has a chance to prepare her intro and make sure my stuff fits with the rest of the program. This happened with last week's comments about cloud seeding. I speculated semi-humorously about lawsuits over rain stealing, but I was thinking too small. The New York Times ran a story last week about an intense effort by the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, one of the driest but richest countries on earth, they have been cloud seeding, they have cloud seeding crews on constant alert and despite widespread skepticism spend millions trying to add to their annual meager rainfall of about 10 inches. They are not alone and the prospect of cloud wars, I'm not making that up with neighboring countries is a real thing. Iran thinks Israel's robbing their rain for example. The irony of all oil-rich nations using their wealth from the major cause of climate change to mitigate the effects is more sad than funny, but even those petrodollars seem to be making scant progress, boosting rainfall. The estimate's about 5% at best. The real hang-up seems to be cloud formation. As one UAE cloud seeding expert actually said, making clouds is very difficult. You think? Thanks, John.
1: Well, when we come back, some classic iron. That's because Machinery Repeat, he is tractor tails next.
7: Welcome back to Tractor Tales folks, this week we're in Waterloo, Illinois with the story of a very cool 1967 John Deere 4020 that belongs to the family of Derek Gregson and Derek this particular 4020 has a family connection, why don't you uh, fill us in.
9: Yeah, it's my grandpa's, uh, he bought it and farmed with it and I guess back when he quit farming and they sold it. I think 95 or 94, 95, something like that, they sold it. Two years ago, cousin of ours found it on Craigslist and he called me and asked me about it because he thought it might have been our old tractor that my grandpa had. Now there was
7: one particular feature that caught his eye, right?
9: That they described it and they said it didn't have no PTO in it. And he recognized it as my grandpa's tractor not having no no PTO in it. So he called me and asked me about it. And I said, yeah, that sounds like it could be the same one, you know, so we went and Checked it out the next night, and sure enough, it was it. I had serial number of it, and and it turned out to be Grandpa's tractor. And so we bought it and brought it on home with us at night.
7: What did it feel like to find Grandpa's tractor first time you saw it?
9: It was was pretty nice getting it back. You know, just uh, yeah, it looked a little rougher than what I remembered it. But you know, we we changed that. We made it like new again. So
4: yeah, that it looks. Looks
10: absolutely like new now, Derek. And you did the, the work yourself?
9: Yeah, me between me and dad, we did almost all the work ourselves. Yeah. Staying right here it ain't going nowhere, that's for sure.
10: Thanks, Greg. Well, the focus
1: on extension at the University of Nebraska is alive and well. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll show you how the researchers here are trying to turn plants known for their biomass, into oil producing plants and how robots are getting to work in research fields to combat labor woes farmers are facing. Stay with us for that and more as our U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska continues after the break.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report, trusted, timely tradition. The 2022 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from the University of Nebraska is brought to you exclusively by Beck's. From farmers' first pass in the field to the final one at harvest, it's a game plan rooted in faith and belief. Bex Hybrids is with you every turn because both on and off the field, we're all farmers at heart. See why at BexHybrids.com.
1: Well, just this week, one research project here at the University of Nebraska received a $12.8 million grant from the U.S. Department of Energy. The research is being led by a biochemistry professor, and this weekend we show you how the team is working to unlock the full potential of two oil seeds that could help meet the growing demand for renewable diesel. Step into this greenhouse at the University of Nebraska.
2: Our research is uh, focused on making more oil and better oil.
1: And you'll discover research taking root to answer a global growing
2: need. We're trying to address the need for, uh, the, for more oil. There's a world shortage of vegetable oils, but also try to make higher value oils for producers.
1: Edgar Cahoon says he's part of a group of researchers at UNL who are using biotechnology tools to improve crops.
2: And we're doing that both in uh, traditional oil seed crops like soybean, but also trying to make uh, more oil and uh, vegetative or biomass crops like sorghum. So exactly what are the researchers trying to uncover? This idea that we're uh, going to be engineering uh, vegetable oil production in the leaves of stems, leaves and stems of sorghum is kind of a new idea, both a scientific challenge and at some point will be a bioprocessing challenge.
1: Cahoon says through biotechnology they are working to introduce genes that increase the genetic diversity of the plant
2: and ultimately allow the crops to produce higher levels of oil. We want to add more value to the, uh, these biomass crops like sorghum by engineering pathways to make oils not in the seeds, but in the, the leaves and the stems of the crop to add more value for in the bioprocessing of, of uh, sorghum. Not only do we get the biomass, but we can get the vegetable oil. It's
1: not just traditional oilseed crops like soybeans being explored here in this greenhouse, but also crops that aren't traditionally crushed for oil.
2: We're working with uh, the biomass crops. Uh, They don't traditionally make vegetable oils, so they're used for uh, things like lignocellulosic biofuels.
1: The research is being driven by a growing hunger worldwide for more oils.
2: Vegetable oils are one of the most energy-dense molecules that are produced by nature. And so uh, they have the functionality that you need for the food applications, but they also have a lot of energy stored within the, the molecules that can be uh, broken apart and used for, uh, for diesel applications for jet fuel applications.
1: This chart from SP Global Commodity Insights shows that demand is expected to continue to grow and considering a large portion of these products are already used for food and industrial purposes, analysts say more supply will be needed to meet that demand and it could come from new feedstock supplies like camelina.
2: We also work on uh, non-food oil crops. One of them is camelina. We think that's an alternative especially for maybe more marginal dry land uh, applications, and as a cover crop for um, rotations with uh, crops like soybean.
1: Cahoon says UNL's continued investment and focus on biotechnology is key.
2: We're really uh, fortunate at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln because we have some of the uh, best uh, facilities in the, the public sector for crop biotechnology. And that ranges from the ability to uh, do the genetic engineering of the major crop plants, which is done here at the Beetle Center where we're located. And all of these plants around us are genetically engineered soybeans with different oil traits.
1: A living laboratory that's rooted in understanding farmers' needs.
2: This will give the farmers some value-added opportunities beyond just trying to make oil for the traditional uses of food and, and biofuels.
1: Cahoon says by not only knowing the enzymes that could allow different crops to generate more oil, to producing soybean plants that even feature fish oils. It's all about meeting that growing demand. Just incredible research. The $12.8 million grant is from the U.S. Department of Energy, and it will be paid out over five years. Well, what other demand could be on the horizon for farmers? We're checking back in with our marketing panel of economists and market analysts next. Well, welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. All right, when we look at demand and the demand situation, Doug, here in Nebraska, when you look at some areas that, that did produce a decent corn crop, if they had that irrigation, are we seeing some of the states farther south come to the market and pay up for the corn that is available?
7: Absolutely, the buyers that are coming out of Kansas, going back to you know, Dodge City, back into the Texas Panhandle, they're 30, 40 cents better than the bids were last year at this time. So the basis levels are very hot. The um, ethanol plants' margins are still respectable. So they're still bidding. So there's still a lot of competition. We don't have as much uh, bean demand right now as what we've had the last two years out of China. But the corn side, Bartlett Council Bluffs is a big shipper that goes down on the KC Southern Rail down to Mexico. The demand there has been very strong. So overall, we've got a good um, demand base, but especially for feed grains coming out of Nebraska. We haven't seen that since the early 2000s where they've been that aggressive coming up into Nebraska to buy corn.
1: Well, that's good news if you're producing corn, but if you are a feed user here in this state, cattle producers, not great news for for them. And so when you look at, yes, we do have fewer cattle, you know, a bullish outlook when it comes to that for prices, but at the same time, let's talk about inflation, gas prices. Are you worried that that also will be a factor that really just pressures cattle prices?
7: I think the yeah the inflation side of it from the demand standpoint you worry about people spending all their money on gas and and you know different primary goods from the cells they might not be able to have as much money from beef but I know beef demand per capita seems like it continues to grow and is hanging in there pretty well I think the bigger concern for like the feedlot people is that not only do they have higher prices for grains but all their forages yeah. higher prices but they lost that so we've got record number of cattle on feed and, and so that good for the cattle industry in that regard, but the costs are definitely a lot higher this year.
1: So, Corey, then, as, as we you know head through then the rest of this year and head into 2023, from the risk management side, what are you watching the closest right now?
8: It, it's an individual outcome. You, you as an individual, as a farmer, has to watch that, that spread, that input cost to that output price. Do not want to get caught in that buying that fertilizer high price and watch these markets erode away for some unforeseen thing that we we cannot see coming and get caught in that pinch. You really you really got to focus on that margin, and uh, we're not going to do it perfectly right. But uh, uh, don't get caught in that, that off one um, and be, be happy with a good solid average price and a, and a reasonable input cost price at the same time, where that's multiple sales on both sides, purchases on the inputs, sales on the output. Um, but it's, it's gonna be, uh, there's gonna be a lot of movement between now and uh, when we're back here next year.
1: Yeah, and we're also watching to close out the year, you know as we mentioned earlier, the geopolitical situation, yep. we know that uh, uh, leaders from Russia and leaders from China, they, they talked to this week, uh, hearing that maybe Russia is not going to continue with this grain deal, and so there's some uncertainty there. Mm-hmm. When you look at what's at play on the geopolitical stage, how much risk do you think that that means farmers could face heading into the new year?
4: You know, the, the trade outlook is always dependent upon where, where there's opportunity by and, and where there are relationships built. And with the uncertainty with Russia, the uncertainty with uh, the Black Sea region as a supplier, that's been a positive for U.S. grain producers and export opportunities. But that uncertainty is also translated into the uncertainty we have in Europe. And that's been the pressure on, on fertilizer and, and on energy prices that, that challenge producers as well. Uh, you can't predict what uh, those geopolitical relationships are going to be. Uh, as Corey noted, you ultimately have to be able to manage risk. And. Uh, if you want to play out uh, the, the output price and hope for the better, you might get stuck with high input costs and eroding market prices. You have to be willing to, to, to take what the market will offer you and, and manage risk accordingly. So I you can't second guess or outguess the uh, geopolitical movements.
1: As we are reminded daily on, on yes. that one. Uh, Doug, you know, there was a lot of news this week, especially with the rail situation and following that. It kind of overshadowed uh, that the, the Taiwan Security Act did get passed when you look at that how does china view some a, a policy like that and, and and what implications could that have
7: they view that as an attack on the one china policy and perhaps they china is always going to try to buy beans you know what in the brazilian market argentina market they seem like they have i don't just we have those antagonisms here yeah. so they come to us when you know, when they need to get beans but that it's creating more anxiety on their part i believe i mean it's it's just part of the way the world is right now. After the Ukraine situation, the U.S. is going to be more proactive trying to make sure that they let China know that we're not going to mess around.
1: Yep, definitely. All right, well, we appreciate you all for being on the show this weekend. Good luck this weekend on the field. Kind of some new energy. So uh, good luck to you guys, and and thanks again for hosting us this week. All right, we need to take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. We've all seen the videos and pictures. Autonomous equipment is gaining traction within agriculture, but right here at the University of Nebraska, one robot may help solve farmers' labor woes while also filling other gaps, as ag engineering is being put to the test in fields across the state.
5: I'm standing in front of a robot. Take a peek at what could be the future of equipment already rolling across the University of Nebraska. We call it Flexroll an agricultural robot designed to do multiple operations. We are looking uh, to use this robot for planting operation, cover crop drill, and then spraying and nitrogen application. We took it to the soybean field and we were looking at different varieties of soybeans to look at their growth rates um, in different uh, environmental conditions.
1: It's controlled by one of two ways, allowed to move by either a robot or autonomously as two cameras
5: on the robot do the work. As we are going through, we can uh, detect you know, how much uh, biomass is there in that particular image. Driverless vehicles in agriculture
1: are available today, but Butler says Row is unique.
5: This is a very unique agricultural robot. It's very hard to find this type of robot in any other university. The reason is this is a 60 horsepower robotic machine. So it has an internal combustion engine, it has fluid power hydraulics, it has electric or hydraulics, can bus, which is industry standard, but we have it on a university system. The robot was built from the ground up with the help of both undergrad and graduate
10: students. My involvement started a year and a half ago. They came, I came in and there was a need for a planting application. It's an engineering project that's been years in the making here in Lincoln. When I came in, it was, it was almost a blank chassis. Everything from the chassis down was barren. So I came in, started designing work on the actual planter the frame around it, the actuation mechanism, the electronics, the sensors, that sort of thing. The robot uses different brands from different companies for parts, which is by design. We don't want people to have to go and buy into a whole new technology. We want to use existing pieces of equipment out there and just utilize them in a different fashion. Being this as a semi-autonomous vehicle, we can utilize that to benefit the farmer by saving time and saving energy on their part. These students haven't been immune to the supply chain constraints equipment manufacturers are facing. We are still waiting on like the last crucial component here is a hydroelectric actuator, which is how we control the depth of the seed control. But with word that the final
1: part shipped this week, the game plan is to have Flex Row running on all cylinders
5: by 2023. One thing with this is we are looking at the concept of swarm robotics use 10 of these machines. Uh, We also have smaller machines too. We'll also use drones because this robot, when it is planting, it will be out of seed pretty soon because they have smaller tank capacities. So we could use drones to refill the seed so that these robots are always on the ground. From the possibility of seeding cover crops remotely to
1: making other application passes across these fields, this research could turn into a high-tech field hand that could soon be coming to a field near you. From start to finish, that's truly putting skills to the test. Well, we need to take a quick break, and then customer support is next.
3: Self-checkout. Is it a winner for anybody?
1: Well, fresh inflation data out this week disappointed the markets with the stock market sliding lower. While gas prices did ease, climbing food prices are still at play. But are there other costs aiding food inflation? Here's John Phipps.
3: Got an interesting question from Kevin Noble in Blooming Prairie, Minnesota. What part of the cost of groceries price increase has come from putting in self-checkouts, which I think should lower prices? And second, how much are grocery prices up now that said franchise is sponsoring an Indy race car team? Good return on investment, or reason for higher groceries. Okay, let's start with the first one. Self-checkout economics are vague and changing. When first introduced on a wide scale around the turn of the century, they were unpopular, and some stores, notably Walmart, installed some and then removed them. The majority of shoppers didn't like them, and theft was a major problem, more than offsetting labor costs. A self-checkout kiosk costs around 30 k no small expense to be recovered. Since then, though, people and retail stores have adapted. The most recent information I could find, as well as my own experience, has suggested they are more widely accepted, more economical, and taking over the checkout experience. One big headache that has improved was payment. Both cash and card payments are now faster with fewer errors needing human intervention. Shoppers have been subtly trained to use them. For example, Jan jots down produce product codes on her list rather than having to look them up at the kiosk. Credit card connections are much faster and with chips instead of swiping much smoother than just a decade ago. Shoppers often prefer to control the bagging process with their own idea of how it should be done. Jan's sure that way. For many of us, it is faster, especially if you only have one or two items. Finally, the, the pandemic and intensifying labor shortage has retailers facing little choice. Separating out the impact on inflation is difficult, but the figures I have found indicate self-checkout expenses are trivial. Compared to supply chain and pandemic consequences, food inflation is currently the biggest factor in consumer price increases. Labor costs have risen to compete for scarce workers, but the self-checkout has not drastically lowered employee headcounts yet. As for sponsoring sports teams like racing, I am sure there are numbers that indicate the value of such advertising but much of that analysis is based on secretive market research. Or maybe the chairman of the board just likes race cars. Thanks,
1: John. And when we come back, speaking of food, the animal science department here has a long-standing tradition of serving up meat products that evolve with consumers' tastes. We'll show you how next. Well, there's no question that global appetites changed with the pandemic, but as international trips pick back up again, the University of Nebraska here in Lincoln teamed up with the US Meat Export Federation to host one international group this summer to help turn tastes toward US meat products, not only today, but for years to come.
11: University of Nebraska-Lincoln is home to a strong tradition of meat science. We have over a hundred years of tradition of meat science. And you have that tradition to thank for some of your favorite cuts of meat and meat products. Technology behind the Rib was developed at University of Nebraska, identifying the flat iron steak. You know, are a couple things that some of my uh, predecessors and, and maritime faculty from our department worked on. With a continued focus on extension, the university teams up with U.S. Meat Export Federation to carve out new products to meet changing appetites around the world. This time, we had processors from Mexico. Central America, South America, and the Caribbean, and bring them in to talk about how they can utilize U.S. beef and pork products and how to make the most Out of the quality that we have but also help fit them to the the region that they're in.
1: By not only utilizing U.S. products but proving how you can add value wherever you live, the
11: Global Processing Workshop opened doors for new demand. They developed a a meat item for their domestic market that's a ready-to-eat or ready-to-cook convenience item that then they could use using the U.S. products and be able to gear it towards their market."
1: Undergrad and graduate students helped lead and support the workshop with a focus on premium convenience
11: products this year. The convenience item in the U.S. has grown a lot over the last couple decades and I think in other parts of the western hemisphere there's really opportunities for that to grow even further.
1: From ready to eat meat items to ones ready to cook,
11: the University of Nebraska showed global buyers ways to serve up new products all from US Meats. The way I look at it is we really want to figure out how to make the products be as tasteful as it can be, to be as safe as it can be, add as much value as we can, and to make it last as long as we can. That potential comes from a product that boasts both protein and flavor. So we can have steaks that have different amounts of marbling. We can have processed meats that have different characteristics because there are different markets.
1: From dishing out meat products that taste good to also meeting changing tastes and demands around the world, the university is carrying on a tradition.
11: Nebraska is a, a big player in the meat industry and we're here to help serve and, and make the industry the best it can be.
1: Well, that does it for U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from here at the University of Nebraska this weekend. We are on the road to Iowa State University next week, and a big thank you to Bex as we work to build on our tradition College Roadshow style this fall. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.